Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we take a break from our current series and bring you a message by our special guest speaker, Chris Brown, and it's entitled, Lessons from a Dysfunctional Family. Hey, it is really cool to be back with you guys, and if you're visiting here, just uh, make a real um, specific note. I am not the pastor or belong to this church, so um, please don't hold Rocky Peak accountable for anything that happens in the next 40 minutes, but uh, Mike will be back next week, I believe it is, and is going to teach, and he called me up uh, months ago and said, "Uh, Chris, I need a favor, and instantly I'm like, oh, I got to say yes. Whatever Mike asks, I always say yes. I just, I think the world of your pastor, and uh, and he said, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. I got a guy to fill in for the first week. It's a guy that was born with no arms or no legs, has one of the most amazing stories ever. Can you follow that? <laughs> so, of course, for the kingdom of God, I said, no. <laughs> I said, dude, there's, there's absolutely no way. And, uh, and yet I heard what Nick did last week, phenomenal, and uh, just love the guy and his story. And if you weren't here, pick up the DVD on it. And I told Mike, you know what, I owe you about 150, so this will take care of about 30. And, uh, and yeah, I'll show up, I'll do it, because I just, I love what's happening up here at Rocky Peak. And so, really cool to be here. And um, we're going to jump in and do some stuff. You know, my wife, I'm looking down, and thanks for all the guys that wore sandals, because my wife asked me when I was packing, I wore jeans and sandals every time I teach down in San Diego. And, uh, and she goes, oh no, you're a guest speaker. You got to wear like nice pants and shiny shoes. And she's like, what did the guys wear last time? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what people wear to church. <laughs> like I looked. And, uh, and she has no idea what happened in the weeks past either. And she goes, well, you can't wear sandals. And immediately I'm like, babe, the guy last week didn't have any shoes. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> she's all, really? I guess that'll be fine then. And, uh, so I got to call Nick this afternoon and say, bro, thanks for setting the table, man, because I got out with my sin. Oh, that's when she should have said, don't speak about that. Um, oh, before we get started, I got ADD. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into it, because I don't know where this is going to go. But uh, yeah, oh, great, people clapping for my problems. <laughs> we need the Lord. <laughs> so God, we come and just give you this time. And, And Lord, there's absolutely nothing I have to share with anybody here that's going to make any difference in their life, especially any difference for eternity. And God, I admit that, and uh, and these people know that, and so we turn to your word. Because God, I believe you're here. I believe for those that are are believers here today that are following you, that you are in their lives and you are present. God, I also am going to turn to your word because I believe this wasn't written by some monks in a cave thousands of years ago, but God, this was written by your spirit through men. And therefore, it is just as valid today because you don't change. And the way you work with people hasn't changed. And so, God, we want to open your word and say, teach us. May we walk out of here not being impressed with music or sound or lighting or speaking or fellowship. But, God, may we walk out of here being once again impressed with you. And, God, knowing we have heard from you. And so if there's anything in our lives that don't match up with what we read, may we be the ones that change. And may you give us the strength and courage to be able to do that. In your name, amen. scene starts kind of looking from inside the shop out and there's a potato chip and candy bar rack on the left close to the window a magazine rack and then the register on the right two big glass doors that have the big crash bar that say push on them they still got the old-fashioned little sign that hangs on a little rubber suction cup hook it says closed because on the outside of course it must be open and out beyond the little sign you see the two gas pumps It's there the story kind of unfolds. 
An old pickup truck just kind of pulls up, knobby tires with a little screech as they hit the concrete pad by pump number two. Immediately, the passenger door is open, and two guys in Letterman's jacket just come bounding into the store, joined quickly by a driver, jeans, t-shirt, an old beat-up, worn, torn UCLA hat. As they come into the store, before they get any supplies or snacks, they make a beeline for the counter, and, and there they start. They point at the kid behind the counter in the little circle with his name in it, and they spell it out slowly, Craig. Is that so you don't forget it? So that you always know how to spell it. And there's some laughter, but Craig's heard it a thousand times. Every time his buddies come into the store, they give him a hard time about having the name tag. You see, being the owner, son, he's got the dark blue shirt. Little circle says Craig. Older brother has the same shirt. It just says Kyle. All the employees have the light blue shirts with the little logos on them. So Craig always gets a hard time about having to wear his name. He hates that patch. He hates it. As many times he's asked for dad to change the dress code. Nope, that's what we wear around here. They grab some supplies, put it on the counter, and then they start urging once again. Dude, we're heading out to the levee tonight. It's going to be a big group of us. You got to go. You got to just get out of here. And Craig rolls his eyes. You know how it is, guys. I close down the shop. I can't go anywhere. Come on, dude. And one of the guys jumps in. Jackie's going to be there as if that's going to be the deal breaker. And Craig kind of chuckles. Guys, I can't go. I work here till closing. The guys grab their sack of stuff, head back into the truck, pull out, always burning their tires, always trying to get Craig a little bit more in trouble. <laughs> little do they know how deep their words fell. Craig sits behind the register and they just sink in. One more time he's stuck, slaving for dad, and one more time he can't enjoy life. One more time everybody else seems to be doing what they want to do and he's stuck there. From the time he was big enough to push a broom and run a squeegee, his older brother was showing him the ropes outside and how to clean up the lot and get the pumps ready. From the time he was old enough to look over and hit the right buttons on the register, they had him checking people out. It's what happens when your dad owns the little gas and sip, just a couple miles from the 10 and 15 freeway interchange. And once again, the words just fall on Craig. And it starts to build. No one knows exactly how it happened or why. It had to be those same thoughts some three weeks later. A minivan pulls up. It doesn't get gas. It pulls up into the handicap spot right up in front. His buddies all pull out and there's an excitement about it. Different from most nights. The conversation is quick. Hey, we're grabbing some stuff, just some munchies for the road. Jimmy's parents is out of town. They left the minivan in the house and we got a couple fake IDs. We're going to Vegas. And Craig's all, shut up. You guys aren't going. No, swear to God, we're going to Vegas. We're all going right now. Tell them everyone's going. It's going to be the best road trip ever. You got to go. You guys are really going to Vegas. Yeah, what are you going to do? I don't know, anything. Dude, we heard you could do anything. It's Vegas, man. Are you in or not? They can't believe their ears when it comes over the counter we're in. What, 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 what do you mean you're in? I'll go with you guys. Get in the van and wait for me. They think it's some sort of joke. Craig can never leave the shop. And yet there he is, taking off the dark blue shirt. He rolls it up in a ball and sticks it on the cash register. It had to be years and years building up inside of him and something snaps. He goes back down the little hallway past the chips and candy bars into that back room. It's that storage room where you keep supplies and also all the cleaning equipment. It's that little room that just, it's way too small for its use. He's had to clean it up a thousand times. You walk in and wave your arm and you find that little chain on that single light bulb and you pull it. And there he moves some cardboard boxes. And there in the corner, built into the floor, is the big safe. Dad's old-fashioned that way. He doesn't like putting money away. He likes keeping it right there where the family earned it. His hands start to tremble as he goes. 
Three to the right, 62. Two to the right, 41. One back, seven. And with a big click, the door swings open. He dumps out a cardboard box of paper towels and puts it in front and just starts sweeping everything inside. The flaps don't quite close because of the amount of cash he has. And as he stands to turn, there in the doorway is Kyle. And they both freeze for a second. Kyle takes one look and goes, hey, little bro, what in the heck do you think you're doing? And Craig just kind of blurts it out. I'm out of here. I don't care. And Kyle says, with that? Yeah, I've earned it. Over my dead body. And Craig shoots back. If that's the way it has to be. And they both feel the rage. Kyle steps forward and grabs him by the shoulder. And at that time, they see the shadow in the door. And it's unmistakable. Dad has wondered why no one's out. No one's at the register. No one's by the pumps. And the big burly shadow can only mean one guy. And as he stands in the doorway, both sons freeze. And it takes just a second to sum up the situation. His words are calm. His words are calculated. His words are deep. Craig... What do you think you're doing? And Craig can't believe it. He can't believe his ears. He can't believe everything from years bottling up just starts rolling out of his mouth. Dad, I don't care anymore. I feel like I've earned this. I put in all my time. I'm tired of working for you. I'm just going to take this and I'm going to go. And it just kind of falls there. And neither of them can believe Dad's response. Then go. What? Go. And he stands to the side. He grabs Kyle and pulls him back. Craig sees the doorway, doesn't know if it's a trick or not, and so he takes every energy he has and just kind of darts by both of them. Out through the crash bars where the tiny bell kind of rings and into the minivan. The guys all take off in disbelief. Dude, when we saw your dad come in, we thought for sure you were grounded. When do you have to be back? Jimmy's parents are coming back Tuesday night. We've got to come back Tuesday morning. We're missing school on Monday. What about you? And the words come out, I'm never coming back. <laughs> That's good. No, really, when do you got to be back? I'm never coming back. And with that, he opens his box and he shows them the contents. Their eyes are huge. Their jaws drop. Is that real? Yeah. Are we going to get in trouble? Dad gave it to me. What? It's mine. <laughs> and the road trip of a lifetime begins. True to their word, four of them come back on Tuesday. They all kind of get their story straight in case anybody asks, but Craig stays. It's amazing what a young man can do in Vegas with a box like that. Things can go a long way. And everything you ever dreamed of, everything he's been missing out on, everything that he's always wanted to experience, now seems to be coming easy for him. Friends are easy to make when you've got a cardboard box like that. Well, from there, the story just... See, it's got a couple of those twists. We... Okay, you've got a point... You know what? We've already covered the first five verses. Let's just keep reading it. It's in Luke 15, starting at verse 11. It's one of those stories that only Jesus can tell. It's one of those stories that's just out of bizarro land. It's one of those stories that in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with the, the pimps, the prostitutes, the drug dealers, and the righteous come by. Those that have grown up in church all their life, the religiously educated. And they're like, why do you keep hanging out with these people? Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? And Jesus wants to tell these tales of the kingdom. He's, he wants to tell these things that we call parables, these stories that, that have some earthly sense and meaning about them. But he's trying to tell them to say, you've got to understand what heaven's about. You've got to understand my dad, Jesus is saying. You've got to understand, yes, why I hang out with these people and what I do, what I do, and how that's going to affect your life. 
So he sits with a bunch of adults and he starts telling stories. He goes, there's a, okay, there's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep, you know, <laughs> and he takes them out and he feeds them and he brings them back in and he counts them at the end of the night and there's only 99. Oh, my interpreter's gone good because I just talk really fast and I was afraid her fingers are going to cramp. And so he comes back, he's only got 99 and he's lost his sheep. I know mine at my church don't like me at all. Did I tell you I got ADD? And so he comes back out and he's got one. And so he goes over the hills and all the nooks and crannies and your rocky type formation out here until he finds that one sheep and he brings, not a lot of shepherds. In here, yeah, I didn't take any of those classes at school either. Okay, it's like a woman that has 10 coins. You know, they're like commitment coins, like the marriage type thing, and she finds out she loses one of them, so she turns the whole house upside down until we don't have commitment coins. Okay, third story. He said it's like a dad that owned a gas station who had two boys. Oh, I can relate a little bit. Dad never owned a gas station, but I bought gas before. I've been in one of those places. Go ahead. But here's the problem. If you've already turned there and if you've got those Bibles with the cute little headings in there, it says prodigal son. And now you've rolled your eyes and you're like, oh, I've heard this before. <laughs> For those of you that have gone to church most of your life or grew up in church, you've heard this story. Because these stories are so cool, we use them in Sunday school classes in first grade. But guys, when Jesus taught these stories, he was sitting on a big rock somewhere with a whole bunch of adults around him. Jesus never taught these stories to first graders in little colored bucket seats. They were meant for adults. But because we've heard them growing up, we're familiar with them. And because we're familiar with them, we rarely go back and really dig into it. And yet, I got to tell you this morning, I think this was meant for you and I at our stage now. So listen with a new mind, adult ears, and say, say God, this is a story some of you might have heard a thousand times. I want to hear it different. This was meant for you. Thank God for Sunday school teachers and flannel graph board. But, but these stories were taught to you, the stage you're in now. And so Luke 15, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or there's a, a page in the front of your Bible that gives you a page number. Look for Luke and then 15. You'll catch us. Verse 11. It starts like this. There was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together everything that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I like that. <laughs> It's a good Bible word, wild living. <laughs> We're about to find out what wild living is. So if you've got kids, I'll tell you when it's time to cover their ears. But here it goes, wild living. And yet you're going to get to the story and go, oh, this is good, where he comes back, shh, don't get ahead. Because right off the bat, you've got to stop, call a timeout, and go, that's jacked up. Are you kidding me? Some snot-nosed punk kid comes into dad and says, dad, I figure one day you're going to die and I get half of everything, so I'd like to take it now and just kind of live my life as if you were dead. And the dad goes, Okay. <laughs> what? I, I tried to imagine, what if I tried this growing up in West Texas with a dad that still makes me look small, and I'm a pretty chubby guy, and I walked up to him, and I'm like, hey, Pop, one day you're going to die, and I figure I get the inheritance. Can you just give me half of everything you're working hard for right now, and just let me take it and blow it? <laughs> I would have, like, like, woken up four days later <laughs> with my brothers around me going, dude, that was the dumbest thing we've ever seen. <laughs> Dad changed the locks. All your stuff's out in the front yard. You're, <laughs> you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> and Jesus tells these stories and these parables always have these little twists and turns. And if you want to follow along, I've kind of titled this Lessons from a Dysfunctional Family because it fits and I think we can relate. Anybody here? Yeah, three of us. Well, great. The rest of you listen in. <laughs> three holy people and a bunch of liars at Rocky Peak. Here we go. So lessons about dad is simply this. First of all, a loving dad will let you leave. You got to understand that. See, it, 
We like growing up in church and talking about God loves you. God will always be there. God will never leave you. Whenever you want to turn, God will give you just do the right prayers. You're going to get it. Come on. The Bible is filled with examples of a God that says, you're on your own. Get out of here. (gasps) Not my God. My God will never leave me. Shut up. Read the Bible. From beginning to end, oh, just read the book of Exodus. How many times does God take his people, his nation of Israel, and say, I'm done with you. You're stiff-necked, boneheaded people. Get out of here. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's me. Don't like that. <laughs> There's a story in Judges where God picks a leader to lead his nation at the time, a guy called Samson. That was cool on the flannel graph. I grew up wanting to be like Samson and until I started reading him as an adult, and I realized, oh, my wife doesn't want me to be like Samson. <laughs> Got to read it on your own. Not now, like when Mike's teaching. And so it's in Judges 16. <laughs> Oh, you know you do. And so in Judges 16, there's this story. And God gives this guy an incredible amount of strength and leadership and wisdom. And he says, here's, here's the commitment. Keep your hair. Never cut your hair. And that'll be that pact that you and I have and that outward sign that you're following me. But the Bible says he starts running around in the enemy's territory. I like that wording, the enemy's territory. He's hanging around on the wrong side of the track and he sees her. If I could whistle, I would have just whistled. Delilah, she is a hottie. And she's looking at him because this guy is just yoked. <laughs> I tried to be yoked. That's my impression of yoked. <laughs> and he starts getting further and further from the truth and closer and closer to that line you're not supposed to cross. And she just keeps enticing him, running her fingers through her. Samson, what's your secret? What's the strength? What's the line we can't cross? And he makes up all kinds of stories. Oh, you got to tie me with ropes. I'll lose my strength. Oh, you got to braid my hair, getting a little closer, and I'll lose my strength. And every time she calls, Samson, Samson, the Philistines, the enemies are coming, he just snaps out of it. Finally, one night, I don't know what it is. It's just a relationship that just keeps going and going and going. She says, Samson, what's the secret? He goes, if you cut off my hair, I'll lose all my strength. So she cuts off his hair. Listen to this verse. It's there in your notes, but Judges 16, 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'm going to go out as before and I'm going to shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Is that one of the scariest verses in the Bible? Here's a guy that just keeps moving on his own into the enemy's territory, just doing what he wants, doing what he wants, following his own desires, following his own cravings. And before he knows it, he still thinks, hey, God's here. He still thinks, you know what? The moment I turn back, I mean, God's here, still going to be good. And he gets to the point where he cries out and God says, I'm not here. You're done. Rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10, comes to Jesus and says, God, I want to be saved. Lord, I want to be saved. He falls on his knees. He's begging for salvation. And what's Jesus say? Why don't you sell everything? Give it to the poor and then you can come follow me. And the guy's all, whoa, what's that got to do with salvation? I want to say the prayer like I did in Indian Village up in the teepee and just kind of get it covered. God's all, no, 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 you get rid of everything. And it said the guy walked away sad and Jesus let him go. Here's a guy begging for salvation. And Jesus goes, get out of here. I want to be Lord of everything. Can I be Lord of your business, your finances, your relationship, your sexuality? And the guy's like, ooh, I just want to, I just want to be saved. And then just see where this goes. And God says, get out of here. Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes across the sea of Gennesaret and he tries to reach an entire village. Because he changes a demon guy and a bunch of pig story, it's jacked up too. I love the Bible. <laughs> the townspeople come out, take one look at the scene and say, we don't want you here. What does Jesus do with a group of people that say, we don't want you here? What's simple? He gets in the boat and he rows away. He says, fine, you don't need me. Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 on, the entire book is about a group of people that knew God, but they didn't want to walk with God. And three times in eight verses, the phrase is used, God gave them over to their own desires. 
God gave them over to their own thoughts and what they wanted to do, and God gave them over to their own sexuality. It's a God that says, and here's the scariest thing I know about God, people. Given enough time, God will give you exactly what you want. And if you want a life without him, or if you want a relationship without him and his rules, if you want finances without him and his rules, then God will let you go. He will let you go. It's a God that respects your free will. That's the way the Bible starts. Adam and Eve, here's all you got to do to be in obedience and walk with me. And yet if you want to choose this tree in this life, you can. And they said, we do. And God said, go. Go. Jesus tells a story and he goes, this is what heaven is like. This is tales from the kingdom. This is what my dad is like. I have a dad that will let you live life as if he doesn't exist. He said, there is a God that will let you live life according to your own choices, your own desires, your own wants. And he will let you go. Well, doesn't the dad know this kid's going to get in trouble? Doesn't the dad know the end of the story? Doesn't the dad know what kind of destruction this is going to cause? Yeah. Doesn't God know what kind of heartache this is lead to? Yeah. Doesn't God know the type of abandonment issues I'm going to struggle with? Yeah. Doesn't God know the guilt and shame that I'm going to carry with me on this? Yeah. But you have a God that will not spiritually kidnap you. Say, here I am. Do you want to follow? And if you don't, go. Go. Man, that scares me to death. Because I know the thoughts in this peon brain of mine and what Chris likes to do in his desires. And it's like, Lord, I don't want to screw around and fool around in the enemy's territory. I don't want to get closer and closer to those lines. And right off the bat, Jesus tells a story about a dad and a young punk kid that says, I want to live my life as if you're dead. I want my inheritance now. And the dad goes, good enough. Sounds fair. Go. And he divides his property between them. Okay, just when you thought it's jacked up, here it goes. After he had spent everything, we're at verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. See, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. Man, I love this story. There's a Thursday night where Kyle's working double duties in the shop. It's been months since Craig left in that minivan. Jimmy and some of the guys have come in every now and then and apologized. Hey, look, we didn't really know what you were getting into. We took them, but, and they see the stares from Kyle. Their words are meaningless. A family friend walks in. Still got his tie on that's loosened. Shirt sleeve is rolled up. It's the end of the business day. And yet he doesn't buy anything. He stands with his back up against the magazines and he just watches people go by. Kyle's caught his eye a few times, but something's up. And he waits for a time in the store where all the customers have left and he steps to the counter. He's not quite sure how to start the conversation. He's thought about it for about the last five hours of his road trip and it just comes out, hey, Kyle, I gotta tell you, this is none of my business and I know that, but, uh, but do you happen to know where Craig is? Kyle doesn't know exactly how many people know what's happened. He says, you know, hey, last we knew he was living in Vegas. Yeah, that's what I thought the man said. Look, my business does some stuff up there. And man, I was parked behind Circus Circus in the parking lot. And on the way back to my car, I saw a guy getting old buffet food out of the dumpster. And I can't be sure, man, but I swear it was Craig. And he's not looking good. Kyle's all thanks. Well, you think your dad's going to go get him if if I tell him where he is? No. No, dad let him go. All right, like I said, it's none of my business, man. I just thought I'd let you know. 
And he pushes the crash bar open and the tiny little bell rings and Kyle's left alone with his thoughts. Part of him as an older brother hurts. Part of him thinks good. For what he put us through and what he did, good. And stories start coming back. And it gives the thing of Kyle's got down to the end of the cardboard box. You can make a lot of friends with the cardboard box in Vegas, but once it's nothing but a box that's left, well, Craig's up a creek. And friends that have freeloaded off of you for some time, they'll give you a place to stay for a while until you become a pain and you're dead weight and you've got nothing to offer. And slowly the apartments are being closed to you and slowly the garages you used to sleep in are being shut. And now people that you used to hang with are ignoring you on the street. Velvet ropes you used to get by are kicking you out at the first sign. And there's too much pride to go back home. The Bible said he sold them to a a farmer out there. He could live in the barn and feed the pigs. Now remember, for a Jewish boy, the most unclean of unclean animals is a pig. And here he is living with them and feeding them slop. And all the old food that he pours in the trough, he looks through to find something. Of course, it has mold on it. But if you take the top layer off, is there something inside you can still nourish yourself with? And he's hit bottom. And he thinks of dad. Man, even the day wagers that work for my dad, they got food. What am I doing here? People, I guarantee you, this wasn't the first time he thought of dad. I think that first night his buddy showed him how to tie a band around his bicep and just find the vein in the right way. And the first time he felt that warm and that heat going through his veins from the needle, I bet there was a thought of dad. That thought of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. Man, what if dad saw me now? He'd kill me. I bet the lower and lower that cardboard box got, the more and more he thought of dad. Man, if he ever finds out what I'm doing, he's just going to go through the rough. I bet after all the sexual encounters and experimenting and drugs, he would wake up in the morning and some of the thoughts would be of dad. Oh my gosh, dad would kill me. But there's always another bottle or another syringe and something to take the thought away. And one morning he doesn't have any more sex. There's no more alcohol. There's no more drugs. One morning he finds himself in the bottom of life. And I love the way the Bible put it. Verse 17, when he came to his senses... The second lesson from this dysfunctional family is simply this. Turning to dad is the only thing that really makes sense. Turning to dad is really the only thing that makes sense. I love that. Hey, when he came to his senses, he thought, what about dad? I'm tired of people saying Christianity is a crutch for the weak-minded. That Christianity is for those that, you know, can't get along on their own and if you need a help. I'm a huge fan of the intelligent design theory that the further and further science and technology can take us into the other reaches of the galaxy. The further and further science can take us into the in-depth complexity of the cells and atoms and the network of this globe that we spin in. The more and more it points to a fact that I don't care if you believe in evolution or not, but how it all started, it couldn't have been a bang. There is way too much complexity on just the axis we sit on, the rotation that we spin on, the distance between sun and moons and planets and alignment in our own solar system. It's just, it, it's, it's unfathomable. Why is it such a hard stretch to believe then that this wasn't just an accident, that there was some design behind creation? To then go, well, maybe there was a creator that has a purpose for it. To me, that just makes sense. Not spiritually, Scientifically. See, the problem is we all know people that get to the bottom of life and you come to your senses. But a lot of us chase pigs that don't smell, you know? (laughs) We chase our ego, our success, our finances. I spend longer and longer days at the office and in the work arena. Why? Because I get respect. That's where I get validity. The moment I walk in the front door of my house, I realize I'm not cutting it as a husband and I'm not cutting it as a father. 
These are two areas I struggle with. So what do I do? I spend more time at the office because that's where I get the applause. That's where I get the standing O. That's where I feel like I can make a difference. And I chase and chase my success and ego and pride and and it's the pig lifestyle. It's the stuff I'm chasing that I know. I'm searching for something and it's, it's not being found there. It's our body image and the amount of time we look in the mirror and work out and the perfection that we strive for. And yet as every year goes by, gravity and age is working against us and it starts to consume our thoughts. It's the relationship we have or lack of that we think if only. If only I was with someone else or doing something else. If only I had him or her. So we all chase different things in life, different pigs, different things that maybe in and of themselves, they're not bad. Guys, I like pig. Take one look at this body. I was at Red's barbecue last night. Pig is amazing. (laughs) And it's not that in and of itself it's bad. It's the heart and the motives behind it that just take us further and further away. And there's a time where we got to come to our senses. It's easy when you're living out of a dumpster behind the Vegas casinos to see, hey, you got to come to your senses. It's hard when I'm making the mortgage payment. When work is applauding me, it's hard there where I feel like I'm starting to get by to really come to my senses because I think I can do it. Have you been there? And when he came to his senses, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. I love that. Hey, I know there's a way that you think you're making it and getting by and it's working for you, but in the end, you're going to find it's not the solution you're searching for. And then you see it in his head, verse 18. What about dad? What about the shop? And then he says, I'm going to go out, go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned. Oh, that's good. Dad's a spiritual guy. He's got to buy that. I mean, how in the world do I talk to dad? How do, dad, I've sinned. I've, uh, I've sinned against heaven. I've, I've sinned against you. Okay, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Can you just make me like one of your hired men? So he got up and went home. That's got to work. That's all I have left. Dad, I've blown it. I got everything in the box. It's done. I don't even have the box anymore. I used it for shelter one night and warmth and fire. And I've just, God, I've blown it. God, I've sinned. Dad, I, I'm just coming back saying, I don't even want to be called your son. I'm not even asking for that. I just want to be one of your hired men. The rest of my life, can I work at the station? Can I just try to pay it off? The rest of my life, I'll slave for you. Behind the shop, there's that little shed where we have the oil drums and where all the tires are stacked. Can I just sleep in there? I'll sleep in there and I'll be up at the crack of dawn. I'll do everything like I used to. I'll sweep the lot. I'll put everything up. I'll be there at the end of the night. I'll watch the place at night. Can I, just, can I just sleep in the shed and work this off? Somewhere he tries to get cleaned up and the first time in a long time he's seen his reflection. He's seen the amount of weight that's lost and he doesn't know if it's from the drugs and the meth or he doesn't know if it's from the viruses from all the sexuality. He sees the way his face is sunken and he has sores that just won't heal. And as much as he tries to water down and clean up, he stands on that 15 freeway with his thumb up and no one's going to stop for a guy like that. Fortunately, there's a trucker late at night that just wants company. He takes one look at this whittled down body and realizes this guy's no threat. And he starts making the trip home. The air brakes wake him up at the interchange of the freeways and the driver says, this is where you get out. And he jumps on the side of the road and it's two and a half miles. Two and a half miles of walking and you see it going through his head. Dad, I've blown it. Dad, I've sinned. I don't even want to be your son. I just want to be a slave. Dad, I'm just coming back and I don't have anything left. I just, can I work for the rest of my life? Can I just, can I pay it off? And those two and a half miles go quicker than he thought. And before he knows it, he's standing across the road. 
He's looking at the asphalt and the concrete that he used to sweep a thousand times, the job he hated the most, and now he just loved anything. Just to hold a broom again and start paying it off. Somewhere in the store, Kyle behind the register always glances out at the pumps and traffic, but he wouldn't even recognize Craig at this point. A father is stocking shelves. And as he glances out the window and just kind of sums up the situation and back down, there's that little trigger that only a father or mother has that would remember. That little trigger that only probably dad would recognize and that thought of Craig hits his mind. And as he looks back up and across the street and he's just a shell of a man right now, but dad knows that's my boy. Craig's legs have taken him this far, but for whatever reason, he doesn't find the strength to cross the street one more time. He takes deep breaths and it's going through his mind. Dad, I've blown it. I don't have anything. I don't even want to be your son. I just want to live behind the station and work for you. Dad, I've blown it. Dad, I've blown it. And somewhere in the midst of the traffic, his feet start moving. And the moment he sets foot on the curb, he sees both crash bars get shoved open and dad comes running. Dad's a big burly man. He's built this station from scratch. Craig freezes in his footsteps and as he goes close, dad throws his arms up in the air and Craig knows this is going to hurt he kind of flinches in defense. He doesn't have enough strength left in his body to fight or run. Plus, he knows he deserves it. Whatever dad's going to unleash on him, he's earned it. And it's there in that little position and ball that he feels that great big meaty hand right behind his neck and the other one grabs him by the waist and slams him into his chest. And he can't believe it. And Jesus says, while he was still a long way off in the middle of verse 20, His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son tries to get out his little speech that he's been practicing. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But he can't even finish the sentence. In the midst of it, dad starts screaming over his shoulder into his son's ear. And he starts yelling at the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring a fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Because a son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Craig gets slammed in the dad's big burly chest and he tries with his face just pressed against it, muffling, dad, I'm sorry, I blown it. I don't want to be your son. I just want to, and he can't get it out. Dad starts screaming. He starts yelling at the help. Bring his shirt back. The one we found rolled up under the counter has been waiting on a hanger in the back room the whole time. And put it on him. We changed the combination. Only two of us have it now, but we'll give it to you. And bring his keychain that opens up every door. And put it back on his belt. And bring out some of those tables and those chairs. And we're going to put everything out and it's just going to be free. We're giving everything away free today. Craig's back. And before he knows it, the dark blue shirt is on and the patch that he once hated is right back there. And it's crisp and clean and been ironed and waiting for him. And once again, it says, Craig. A piece of paper with a combination of safe is shoved back into his pocket. Keys are put back around his belt. And he stands there just shaking. And tears start falling down his cheek. He didn't know if he would ever cry again. And he can't stop him. And in the midst of that, he feels these tears hit his forehead and start to run down and mix with his And for the first time he got it, this entire time he was away, he thought, what in the world would dad think if he saw me now? And he never once realized dad was deathly afraid of losing him. No, he wouldn't run out after him. He waited till he turned and came back home. But dad was afraid of losing him. But you don't know what I've done and where I've been. Yes, he does. But you don't know how I've blown this life and how I lived it without you. Yes, he does. 
See, the most important thing in this story is number three. The road home starts with an attitude change. It's simply an attitude change. You say, Chris, what do you mean by that? Up in verse 12, this story started with Jesus saying, the younger son said, Father, give me my share. If you're into writing in your Bible, I hope you are. You might want to circle give me, just those two words. Because we find the entire thing different at the end of 19. In verse 12, Craig is saying, give me, give me. In 19, he says, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me. And you might want to circle make me. Because I put in your notes there, the core of rebellion is simply give me. The core of brokenness is make me. People, as long as we have God in our life as a give me God, as long as we got our prayer so God's going to come through, as long as we come and say, oh God, I've blown it, I confess it, just so we make sure we get his blessings back, we're always walking away from him. You have a God that says, I've given you life, talent, ability. And you are allowed to use that as if God doesn't exist in your life. He will let you. He will let you. And he will let you live a life and die without any presence of him in your life, if that's what you want. And as long as we're in this give me, God divides up and says, here's life, go. But the moment we come to make me is the moment we understand brokenness. The moment I stop and say, God, I'm tired of Chris's desires and my ego and God, just what I want in life. The struggle with my own sexuality and pride. And the moment I can get rid of everything I have about self and say, God, just make me whatever you want to make me. Is the moment God steps in, because that's the moment we step off the curb. James 4, 7 through 10, you might want to circle it there in your notes, says this. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Walk away from your own lifestyle, and it will flee from you. When you come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Start to purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. And once you humble yourself before the Lord, he will start to lift you up. It's that attitude change of coming and saying, God, I've searched for it. I'm tired of following my pigs. I'm tired of trying to find success outside of you. I'm tired of trying to validate myself outside of you. And God, now I'm back saying I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. Just make me. James 4 says, once we step off the curb and make our way back, God will meet us. But he's not going to jump into your Vegas. God is not going to jump into your relationship, your finances. Unless you stop and say, God, these are yours. Man, I put them way beyond you. And that's why you're not existent. You're praying for a job change and God isn't coming through. Because I got to say, where has God been in your job the previous five years? You're praying for God to give you a relationship situation and change that. And God's saying, where have I been in your relationship the last three years? You're praying for finances and just trying to get by. And my gosh, living here in Southern California. And you're wondering why God isn't answering. And it's a guy that says, where have I been in your finances before this? No. I'm not going to jump in and make everything okay. I'm going to wait for you to have an attitude instead of give me God, give me to God, make me. I deserve to be a slave. Anything else is simply bonus. And some of you are sitting here today saying, Chris, that's great, great little story. Glad Jesus told it. You don't understand what I've done and what I'm into and where I'm going. I just can't come back to God. It's not that easy. People, what you're really saying, if that's your thought process today, is I need something more than Jesus dying for me on the cross. <laughs> Be careful when you have that thought. God looks at your life and my life and what we've made out of it, and yet he killed his son and said, believe me, whatever you've done, I paid a price big enough. Don't be held down by a guilt in life saying, oh, I gotta get straight, I gotta get into the program first. Once I work it out, I'll come back to God. You just gotta step out the curb like Craig did and say, God, I'm back and 
And I'm coming back with viruses rampant and addiction that's still going on. And I'm jonesing. And God, I don't know what I'm doing here. But just make me. And that's where God meets you. Oh. 25 says, meanwhile. Isn't that cool? Don't you like the meanwhiles in the Bible? Sorry, I got preachy for a moment. Kind of Baptist roots coming back. Meanwhile, I love that there's meanwhiles in the Bible in your life and my life. Five minutes, holy cow, here we go. Just let second service come on in. We're going to make room. Meanwhile, the older brother was out in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and he asked him, wait, what's going on? Your brother came home and said, your father killed the fattened cow because he has him back safe and sound. Got to go. Craig's back in that storeroom with his clipboard. He knows there's a holiday weekend coming up. He's got to make sure they got everything on the shelves and everything's ordered that's needed. Before he knows it, all, all the minimum wage guys are running and grabbing tables and chairs and bringing them out and they're grabbing boxes of supplies and they're running around them and bringing them out. He's like, whoa, guys, what do you think you're doing? <gasps> Craig came back. He's across the street. Your dad's hugging him right now. He says everything's free. We're going to throw a party. Got to go. Bye. <laughs> really? Craig's back. Party? Really? I love his thoughts. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, he squandered your property with prostitutes, oh, he comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. Way to go, dad. Way to stand up for what you believe, pop. Hypocrite. And now you're wondering why I don't join your little party? Thanks, but no thanks. In case you forgot, I have a job to do. And he can't believe the words that come out of his mouth. He can't believe everything that's been felt up over the years and everything that's been building, and he just realizes it just kind of came out. And I look at this guy, and I'm like, what's the problem? (laughs) And this is a jacked-up family this guy's running here. Isn't this the guy we celebrate? Okay, Kyle, I apologize. I was going to have you talk at the men's retreat, but I'm going to call you up right now. I said I wouldn't do it, but Kyle, thanks. Come on up. Thanks. Some of you are looking. And so Kyle comes on up. (laughs) That would be good. And I get to put my arm around him. Hey, you guys have seen Kyle. I mean, he's the first one here. He's the last one to leave. Everything we do, he shows up. He wants to volunteer for 20 different booths at the Hallelujah Halloween Festival Harvest, whatever you call it. And so Kyle's here. Kyle, can you just share with us a little bit about your life? And he's humble. He doesn't want to do it, but I'll get it out of him. And it comes out. And Kyle just says it in his words. Hey, my whole life I just serve and slave God. I've never disobeyed anything he said. (gasps) Kyle, never? And his life group's like, no, it's true. We don't take him with us on Friday. That's him. That's Kyle. He's like, really? And we send him back to his seat and we clap for him. And I get to say, guys, women, can we be more like Kyle? We need more Kyles in this world today. And yet if you sat close enough to him, he knows as a man he don't cry in church, but he'd quickly raise a hand and just kind of wipe a tear from his eye and he's got a lump in his throat he can't swallow. And God forbid we can ever be open in our churches. But we'd have to call up and say, Kyle, what's the problem? And the words come out. I've never been able to celebrate. And I don't think God cares. Well, Kyle, work a little harder. And you might just get there, buddy. Congratulations, you've aced the Christian life. 
Luke 10, Mary and Martha, two sisters that opened their home to Jesus. It's in your homework this week. Martha's busy by all the preparation. She's doing dinner for 12, 13, 15. Now, women and guys that cook, I'm not putting down dinner for 15. I know it's something to pull off. And when Jesus and the boys come over, <laughs> there's some cleaning that's been going on. But when they come in, Mary sits down at his feet and Martha's busy, 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 trying her best to serve Jesus. And she gets to the point where she walks into the living room and she goes, Jesus, don't you care? I'm doing all this work by myself. Can you tell Mary to get off her butt and help me? (gasps) I can't believe I just said that in front of Jesus. And he said, man, you are so worried and upset about so many things. Mary's doing the only thing that counts. And yet we want to pull Martha out of the crowd. We want to have her speak at our Thrive Conference. Say, Martha, tell them, oh, I just do my best. My gift is in serving and hospitality and cooking. I just do my best for Jesus every day. And where's it gotten you, Martha? I'm tired, I'm frustrated, I'm depressed, and I don't think he cares. Martha, work a little harder, girl. Yeah. And it's a story about two sons that are lost. One that's searching and trying to find his own thing, living his life as if God dead. And one that found God, but now the rest of his life he's trying to work for it. He's trying to earn it. And the last thing in this is simply unconditional love has to be accepted, not earned. Unconditional love has to be accepted, not earned. People, you got to get that. Some of you have come into the kingdom of God or you understand who God is and yet in the midst of that, now you're trying to work. You see this entire book as a l- rules of do's and don'ts. Man, I got marriage 11 years ago and the night before all my buddies came over to the house and, and they just gave me a hard time all night long and into the morning about the vows I was about to take. Dude, your life is going to change forever. You're not going to hang with us. You're not going to stay out as late. The house is going to change. You're going to have doilies, potpourri junk all over. You can't put your clothes, your dishes. And oh my gosh, were they right? Life changed forever, and the amount of list and rules that came with this ring was astounding, and they're new every day. And you can look at that and go, my gosh, if that's marriage, why in the world would anybody go into that? I have no idea. <laughs> or I could realize 11 years ago, I married Amy Ardeth Gibbs. Whew. The most incredible gift God has ever given Even though nine months into it, I wanted to divorce her and I didn't know how to do that and keep in ministry. (laughs) And God came in and saved a marriage and saved a life and saved a relationship. And a woman I knew I married that was wrong and had no love for her, now the most amazing thing. And yes, life has changed, but by me doing the things she's asked to do, I get to live with her. And every time I do that, it just makes it sweeter. Who wouldn't do that? See, you can see Christianity is a bunch of rules and relationships, and that's what Kyle did. Now my job is to serve and slave for God. Who told you that? Church? Sunday school? And dad runs out of the house and says, got a bug in my eye or something. (laughs) Dad runs out of the house and says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have has always been yours. In verse 12, the Bible says the the, the father divided his property equally between them. Kyle, why are you working for this? It's all yours. Why do you feel like a slave? You've been given a dark blue shirt with a name on it. You are a prince in the kingdom of God. You are a son or a daughter, a prince or a princess, heir to the throne. This is my dad's globe, and I get to walk with him in it. And yes, it takes obedience, but that obedience just makes it all the sweeter. I cannot earn that, people. I cannot live up to it. God will never, ever, 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 ever love you any more than he does right now. 
So knock it off. Stop working for it. Kyle, Martha, you are working so hard for God and you forgot to simply work with God. He does the life in us and through us. I cannot produce this Christian life. Holy cow, I thought it was time to go. I forgot there's a graph on the bottom quickly. <laughs> I thought I was doing pretty good. I summed it up and we're three minutes, eight seconds, nine seconds, 10 seconds. Don't look at the clock. It's good to be a guest speaker. I don't care. Mike comes back. He sorts out the comment cards. Here's what I want you to do. There's a box in the middle that says John 10, 10. It doesn't say John 10, 10. You write John 10, 10. Jesus says, I have come to give you life. No, I have come to give you an abundant life. Why aren't we in that? Why aren't we experiencing that? Because on the top left, you can write youngest son. On the top right, oldest son. We're all somewhere on the spectrum. Here is where we're not working for God and we're not searching for it. Here's where we're taking time just to understand his thoughts of us. We're curling up in his lap and understanding, God, this is amazing. Here we understand my obedience is I get to walk with you. I show you my love by obeying you. And God, you're starting to produce something different in my life. Kyle, way over here, you are working for it and trying to earn it and live up to it. And you will never do it, guys, ladies. Craig, you're out in the world searching for something you will never come up with. And in your life groups this week, you've got to look at where am I and what do I need to get back to that middle? It's an attitude change of dad, give me, give me to God, just make me. You don't deserve it. The moment you step off the curb, he rushes back and restores and calls you son or daughter. You will not earn that. You will not live up to it. You will never, ever, ever, ever be able to pay for that or earn it. You just have to accept that and say, God, thanks. And every time you're reminded of your past and who you were and what you've done, you got to stop and go, that's exactly right. And in spite of that, he cannot, will not take his eyes off of me. That is grace. That is mercy. So God, we come to you and say thanks for the way you love in spite of who we are, for the way you see the depths of our heart and still you love us the same, for the way you've made the stars and named them. And God, it's all for us. For the way you will not invade our life, but wait for us to step out and say, Father, here I am. And may we not come to music right now and be spiritual. But if we need to sit and get right with you, may we do that. And say, Dad, here he is, she is, it is, finances, corporate America, whatever. God, just make me. Just make me. Whatever you want to make me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.